Penn State Conversations is a podcast hosted by the Alumni Society Board's Young Alumni Council of the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications. This monthly podcast will discuss key aspects of life in the professional world for young and upcoming communications alumni. Please enjoy this month's Penn State Conversation. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you, wherever and whenever you happen to be listening. This is Penn State Conversations, a podcast presented by the Young Alumni Council of the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications Alumni Society Board. My name is Kevin Flintosh. I'm a 2006 grad with a degree in journalism. Uh, after a year of working in public relations for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, I've spent the last decade in consulting with Accenture, primarily focused on end-user communications, that support uh, technology deployments at various uh, various companies. Uh, I'm here today with a, a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Coco. Hi, Mike. Hey, Kev. How are you? Doing quite well, thanks. Uh, Mike and I are going to try to shed some light on uh, everyone's favorite or, or perhaps your least favorite topic, which is you know your money and how best to manage it. So, uh, Mike, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background and your relationship with Penn State? Sure, you got it, Kev. So, uh, yes. Kevin mentioned uh, we go way back, friends uh, from undergrad days. So I'm a 2005 graduate, a very proud graduate of Penn State University from the Smeal College of Business, uh, economics major. That was a long time ago when economics was actually through the College of Business uh, instead of through liberal arts. But uh, um, yeah, I've stayed very involved with uh, the Smeal College of Business and Penn State. Um, you know, I'm on the Alumni Society Board for Smeal and uh, try to get back to campus at least a few times a year to help whether it be mentoring students, uh, speak at a couple classes, and so forth. Um, I live in Nutley, New Jersey, which is about 10 miles west of New York City. So I have that, that benefit of being real close to, to New York City in the New York metro area. Um, married my you know, Penn State sweetheart, Katie, and we have uh, two children together, Rosie and Charlie. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here today and help however I can. We appreciate you, Mike. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. So, to kind of jump into this, what led you to your career as a financial planner? Great question, Kev. So, I always knew growing up that I wanted to do something in finance, and you know, as I was going through Penn State, I guess what what I really wanted to do at that time was you know be an investment banker, kind of go work on Wall Street, make the the uber big bucks, and work all the hours and all that stuff. Um, but as I was going through college, I paid more and more attention to what my father you know, did and does for a career, which is financial planning, and saw that he was able to, again, afford a, a nice, you know, comfortable lifestyle uh, for his family um, and you know, of equal importance, truly helping people on a day-to-day -day basis and making an impact. Uh, you know, I love that make an impact statement of our great uh, Joe Paterno. Uh, so um, make an impact in people's lives. And um, so I saw the families that he would help, you know, retire with dignity, send their kids to college, all that stuff. So, you know, I decided I, I wanted the best of both worlds to be able to work in finance, but also make an impact. I was very involved with Thon as an undergrad, was on the overall committee. So, you know, helping people was always something that I know I wanted to do as part of my career. And again, certainly no offense to investment bankers, but I like to think what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, I work with these families very you know, intimately uh, and closely and very, very happy and uh, proud um, about the work that I do. So, Mike, so you, you mentioned a lot of working with families and things like that. So a lot of the folks that are listening today uh, are probably earlier in their career, 
you know, perhaps they have a significant other, maybe they're newlyweds, but uh, not necessarily at that starting a family, building a family, raising a family stage of life. Mm -hmm. From your perspective and working with the folks that you get to interact with, how early is too early to start saving? And how much money, I'm sorry, how little money is too little to start saving? Well, I mean, obviously, Kev, the, you know, the, there is no too early and there is no too little. I firmly, firmly believe that. It's in the beginning, it's, it's even less about the dollars and cents and it's more about the good habits that you set yourselves on. And, you know, even if it's something, um, you know, quite honestly, I think the first step is educating yourself and educating yourself, whether it be, I mean, you're listening to this podcast for once, so hopefully I could give you a couple things to help educate you on personal finance. Uh, read, you know, there's some great articles and things that are out there for, you know, for free, um, just in terms of, uh, you know, whether it be the Wall Street Journal online or even pages in CNBC or Yahoo Finance, there's great personal financial articles just to familiarize yourself with what are those good habits um, and starting them early, um, such as, you know, how does credit, you know, work, you know, which is debt, right? So using a credit card responsibly, it's, it's not this license to spend, but it's this way to make spending and tracking your spending easier. And if you don't have the money in your bank account, don't buy it on your credit card, you know, and, and your credit card is meant to be paid off in full at, at every month and not to carry a balance. Just learning little things like that from the beginning, I think, uh, and instilling those good habits at an early and a young age is, is extremely important. Uh, along with that is, you know, saving. And, and Kev, as you mentioned, you know, literally, literally you could go online and, and there's great services through Vanguard or other places, Charles Schwab, where the minimums are very, very low. You could start with as little as maybe 10 to $20, you know, a month or something like that. Uh, and just to start the habit of saving. So I always say saving early, saving often, uh, instilling those good habits in you early, and then really build upon that as you start to further yourselves in your professional uh, careers. Excellent, Mike. So you mentioned saving and i know a lot of times when i think of saving especially when i was you know a little bit younger i would think about my savings account or or just working with a regular bank and i would sit there and you know dating myself a little bit throw a few bucks in and i'd, I'd wait for my two or three percent of interest to come back to me and, and really we're just kind of in an environment right now where large interest-based returns coming out of a standard bank account aren't necessarily the case H how do you balance folks who want to keep their money uh, I'll call it liquid and accessible in just a regular standard bank account versus working in a little bit more of a uh, an investment-driven approach that, that you often will work with them on. Great question, Kev. So I often use the phrase, there's two types of cash. There's today cash and tomorrow cash. So the today cash is really monies that you are more than likely going to spend in the next 12 months, let's say. So that's your, you know, emergency fund, or maybe you have a, uh, a you know, a down payment you want to make out of house, you know, within the next year, or, uh, you know, you have another big expenditure, like a car coming up in six months, that money should not be invested. Because one of the things about investing, it, you know, whether it be the stock market, the bond market, or whatever is long term, you're, again, you've always have been and most likely always will beat the returns that you're going to get in the bank, but there's certainly some, that volatility, those ups and downs along the, the way. So if your cash needs in a particular area are very short term, 
unfortunately, you just got to keep it in the bank because it does not make sense to invest it over the short term where it can be unpredictable. However, if you have tomorrow cash, as I would call it, you know, cash you're not going to use for maybe 12, 18 months or more, that money should, in my opinion, absolutely not be in your, in, in your bank account because all you're doing is costing yourself money uh, down the road. Um, and in fact, with most bank accounts, again, making 1% at the most, you know, it's uh, many of them are far less than that, as you mentioned, Kev, you're actually losing money, not on paper, but in true, you know, purchasing power. Um, because, you know, with inflation, prices next year of, of the goods and services that we consume are going to be worth more than what they are today. So, and let's say if the inflation rate or the, the rate of which prices uh, for goods and services rise are about 2%. If you're earning less than 2% on your investments, you're actually losing money. You just don't know it yet. It's huh. a very interesting point. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of times you think I put my money away and it'll, it'll be there when I come back. And in some cases, you know, realistically, investment is a, a, a little bit of a risk. Obviously, we try to do it in such a way that we're, we're making as educated and, and safe of a risk as we can. But, uh, you know, just as there's the possibility of growing your, your financial background and, and growing what you do have, there's always a little bit of a risk of, uh, of losing a few bucks as well. Well, you know, it's interesting, Kev. When, when you talk about risk, most times, most people just think of one type of risk. They think of market risk, you know, because of going up and down and things like that. But there are other types of risk out there, and one of them I, I alluded to, but it's it's that whole purchasing power risk or inflation risk, where it's it's different from market risk, where you're not seeing the, uh, you know, the, the volatility, maybe the ups and downs of your account value. But if you have too much money in the bank, you're certainly taking on that purchasing power risk. So, uh, you know, I think kind of investing in the financial planning world world is balancing these different types of risk. Um, so in setting up yourself in, in the different buckets of investments or bank accounts to fit your goals, to try to minimize your overall total risk that you're taking. Are there other, other common, I'll call them misconceptions that you come across when, when working with clients, whether it's thinking, uh, oh, you know, my, I, I don't want to work with a financial advisor. I'm just going to be paying him or her to do things I could do with myself or I can just go on E-Trade and, and suddenly my $100 investment will turn into $1,000 because I can find the next Apple uh, Apple stock before it blows up or, or things along those lines. Are there challenges you run across when you're working with a client in terms of, you know, I'll call them maybe inaccurate expectations or something along those lines? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So there, and, and there's a few of them. And it's, again, it's nobody's fault. It's just that some, they might not have had the opportunity to, to truly be educated yet. And that's one of, you know, it's the big reason why I'm here today is, is to do that. And hopefully if I've you know, managed to, I can make an impact on, on, you know, even a couple people in terms of their education and finance, it'd be uh, a huge plus. So yeah, what, one of the things is um, that I hear a lot is about, you know, timing the market. Um, people think that you know, timing the market and they kind of think that they're trying to outsmart, you know, the market and that is extremely difficult to do and history has proven it's basically impossible to do consistently. And so I often say it's, it's not timing the market because it's, it's again, nearly impossible to try to time when the market's going to go up or when it's going to go down. 
But so instead of timing the market, it's time in the market. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier, Kev, in terms of saving early, saving often, and truly looking at it as a long-term approach. And you will get these peaks and valleys along the way, but do not panic, do not overreact, and do not, let's say if we do have a correction in the stock market and you know your, your value goes down, um, I've heard this one before too, people say, well, let me just take it out for now and move it to cash until things get better. Um, and But obviously, by the time that things get better, and I'm doing the air quotes right now, uh, <laughs> by the time things get better, you've missed that opportunity to get back from what you lost. So again, you end up doing the wrong thing, which is basically selling low, and then when you get back in, you're buying high, which is the complete opposite of what you want to do as a long-term saver and a long-term investor. And to quote the great Warren Buffett, uh, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. So think of it that way. And, and Warren Buffett bought, bought more stocks more than anybody in 2008 uh, at, the, at the bottom of the crisis when nobody wanted to own anything with the stock market. He loaded up and obviously that's why he is who he is. It's just patience and discipline long term. It's a great point, Mike. I, mean, I know earlier you mentioned, I believe the terms you used were today dollars and tomorrow dollars, or, or today cash and tomorrow cash. But yep. it's the same thing. If you've got a retirement account, so you know full transparency, right? So I, I work with Mike and have for probably the last 10 years mm-hmm. um, per, on a personal side. And you know Mike manages our retirement accounts and things along those lines. The, the gist of it is, in the conversation you and I have had in the past, is you know it doesn't really matter if the total value of a of a retirement account has gone down in the last six months because that's not something you're you're planning or in some cases even able to touch for another 10 15 20 25 30 years depending on how old you are absolutely and and i often say this too that people in our generation and i know it's a stretch because i'm 35 and i may be talking to people that are 10 or more years younger than me now but i'll still include myself in your generation (laughs) Uh, but people in our generation the best thing to happen while we're in this savings mode of our lifetime is for the market to have a bunch of corrections because as you're putting money in each week or each month or each year you're uh doing a concept which is called dollar cost averaging meaning that you're buying in incrementally as time goes on. So when we have those market corrections, let's say the market's down 20% from its highs, you're just buying in now at a 20% discount. So if you think of it in terms of, of you know real estate, if there's a house down the block for 500000 but now you could get for 400000 and flip it, you, you, wouldn't you want to buy as much of that as you can, not buy less? And that's another mi- mistake I see people making is when the stock market goes down, they say, oh, I keep putting money in, but my balance keeps going down. I'm just going to stop contributing for now because I feel like I'm not getting benefit out of it. Again, humongous mistake because that's the time you want to increase the amount that you're putting into because prices are low. Things are on sale. Let's go. Let's go shopping. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting point that you make. Because you're you're talking about uh, a, a scenario where the the market isn't quite doing what you want it to be doing, or your your accounts aren't doing what you want them to be doing, 
and trying to balance that with what's going on and, and what you put away. I think a lot of times there's a, a, if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, Mike, there's a fear of my money might disappear, therefore I, I shouldn't pursue it, or things aren't going well right now, and it becomes a little bit more short-sighted of a perspective, and having that long-term view uh, certainly sounds like what you've seen in your experiences uh, to be the, the best approach that you can take. Oh, absolutely. Without question. I think patience and discipline is, you know, by far the most important characteristic to have uh, that, that successful long-term investors have. Uh, so my, my, some of my clients that have, again, done the, the best are the people that might even, they know the, the, the littlest about finances and they're the ones that barely ever check their account, maybe a couple times a year, especially if they have a, a long term, you know, to retirement, because honestly, it's the people that check it every day that try to, you know, almost outsmart themselves, end up hurting themselves because they say, oh, so-and-so, this person got elected and the things are going to, you know, stock market's going to fall apart. So I'm going to get out until whatever. And then, but obviously that's certainly no way to build a long-term, uh, you know, retirement and investment plan. No, I, I think that's a great point, Mike. And, and I do want to pivot slightly here, if we yeah, may. Sure. So uh, being a, a Donald P. Belisario College of Communications podcast here, mm -hmm. uh, just to tailor something back to, to our students as opposed to more uh, general information, which I think we've been able to cover greatly today. But uh, I know College of Comm grads aren't necessarily always, uh, I'll call it rolling in dough <laughs> right out of school. I remember when I graduated, my, my first paychecks were... Uh, meager, I will, I will call it that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of folks end up pursuing freelance opportunities or, or things like that that don't necessarily come with a, a steady paycheck that might, if you're in an office job or if you are you know, full-time employed somewhere, things along those lines. H how would you tailor your work uh, with somebody who's in that position compared to somebody who might be a little bit more established in their career, has a little bit more steady of an income, as opposed to somebody who maybe is uh, bringing in a, a good chunk of change one month and then doesn't see anything come in the next. Yeah, so uh, great, great question. So I'm going to take uh, two, two uh, sides of this. The first thing, let's talk about someone who's maybe working for a traditional job, a big corporation, so not freelancing, um, but not making you know, uh, maybe a lot of money right now either. Um, the, a couple really key things are one, of course, first and foremost is live within your means. Um, you know, don't try to keep pace maybe with a friend of yours that might be making, you know, double what you're making and, and so forth, you because know, you could see, you know, people have student loans and so forth that they're paying off. Don't get yourself into more debt. Don't spend more than, than what you have coming in. And, and if that means you have to make some sacrifices, well, so be it because your future self will thank you. So you have to live within your means and do not take on more debt and spend more than you're making. Um, so you know, even documenting just a budget on a, a simple budget on a piece of paper is what's coming in from each paycheck. What are your core expenses that you have to pay every month? Rent, you know, uh, cell phone bill, car payment, student loan payment, stuff like that. And then I would build in there, which we'll get to in a second, some sort of savings or investment. And then what's left over, that's your discretionary spending. That's who you have to go whether it be, hey, go out to the bar, meet some friends, go to the movies or whatever, that's your budget. You have to live on that. You have to make it work. Um, in terms of that investment portion, there's another term that I always use, and it's called paying yourself first. 
And it means that because if, if you just live month to month and say, whatever's left over, I'll save or invest in that, you know, 401k or whatever, very few people actually save because you know, there's always reasons that come up and, and excuses, quite honestly, not to save. Say, oh, yeah, you know, I had a wedding that I was in this month, so I had to spend extra money, and which may be true, but that should come out of your discretionary budget, not your savings investment budget. So let's say you're working at a big company and they give you a, a match on your 401k of, let's say, 3% of your salary. Well, at the very least, make sure that you're contributing 3% of your salary so that you can get the full match available to you. So even, let's say, someone's only making 30000 3% is 900 bucks a year. Find some way to save, you know, $750 uh, uh I'm sorry, not at $75 a month to get to that $900 for the year. That way the company is going to give you an extra $900. So you basically doubled your investment right up front. And I've often seen sometimes because people just, uh, it's, you know, I know life gets in the way, but they're like, oh, I'll start the 401k in a few years when I get more established. Well, every year it's costing you $900 at least, you know, not to mention the growth on that money. So, um, Again, just pay yourself first and start some sort of savings or investment program at the first opportunity that you can so you're used to doing it from day one. I always call that maximizing your free money. Yeah, totally. You know, taking advantage of, of opportunities that are out there. I think back to college. I mean, I, I maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I, I definitely had times where you know, I would attend a, a, a club meeting or something like that because they had pizza that night and I felt like saving a few bucks on dinner. And it's it's really not all that different, I think. It's just a little bit uh, of an adjustment on the thinking. It's not it's not for pizza. It's for your, your future. Absolutely. So, yeah, make sure you max out your pizza 401k money, like Kevin said. So. <laughs> um, I want to talk about freelancers, though, for a second, too, of if course. that's okay, to answer the second part of your question. So if you're freelancing... Yes, you may be making more on an hourly basis um, in terms of uh, if you're working for a big company. At least that, that's what I've seen. But you're responsible for a lot more things on your own. You know, you might get paid as what's called a 1099, um, you know, basically it's like a, a subcontracted employee instead of an actual employee. So you're responsible for putting aside your own taxes um, and paying what's called estimated uh, tax payments to the IRS every quarter. That's something you have to do on yourself if you're a freelancer. So it's extremely important to work with a tax advisor, you know, a, an accountant to make sure that you're sending the proper money to the IRS each quarter so you don't get yourself in a penalty and interest situation later. Um, also, too, you might be responsible for your own benefits. So again, there's, there's uh, healthcare changes almost every day, but um, you know, for now, we, you know, we do have healthcare.gov, the Affordable Care Act, where you could go on and it's made uh, getting individual health insurance uh, more accessible and, and easier than ever. So you go on there and educate yourself and familiarize yourself with that program as well. Make sure you have health insurance because if your company doesn't provide it and you're freelancing, uh, make sure you get it because that's one of the, the biggest reasons, too, that people get themselves into financial hardships is you know, early on, they try to save money by maybe not buying health insurance, thinking, oh, I'm, I'm young, I'm healthy. Something comes along where 
they need, you know, who knows, a surgery or expensive prescription or whatnot, all of a sudden now they're accumulating debt for medical bills and that's a tough hole to get out of. So um, do that, especially if you don't have the coverage, if, you know, if you're freelancing. Um, also too, consider setting up your own retirement plan if you're a freelancer. Uh, because again, you may not have access to a 401k. So even setting up something like an IRA or a Roth IRA, um, I, I love Roth IRAs. The younger you are and the earlier you are in your career where maybe you're not making a lot of money, you're you know starting, Roth IRA is, is just a, a huge home run because it allows you to, to put in money up to $5,500 per year Again, invest it however you'd like. You could do it through pretty much any investment company. Um, and the contributions, you know, what you put in, you can always take out first without any interest or penalty. So it gives you that liquidity, that accessibility. But ideally, if you don't have to touch it and you keep that in till age 59 and a half, well, not only is all are, are all the contributions you put in tax-free, but any of the earnings and gains you've made over the years as well are all tax-free too when you take it out for retirement. So again, when you're younger and when your income is lower, Roth IRA uh, makes the most sense um, for, for you know, really anybody getting started. So Mike, speaking of freelancing, your, your work is kind of similar, right? And that you need to pursue a lead, convert that lead into a client and kind of regularly sell yourself and your skills to people quickly, you know, any tips that you can share with folks in the, uh, that are listening who are kind of following a different path than maybe in terms of career, but that, that freelance and that constant selling yourself concept uh, that they need to execute? Yeah, wow, that's a, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, I, I was thinking about that. I always think about this, this quote is, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson, you know, said that, uh, and again, I'm paraphrasing, I'm probably going to butcher this though, but uh, there's nothing great was ever accomplished without enthusiasm. And I think that's so important that, again, in any career, whether you're in business for yourself or, or at, you know, at a big company or so forth, doing the, the job that you do with enthusiasm um, is just so important because it's infectious. And if you're not excited about what you're doing, no one else that you're talking to is going to be excited about it either. So, I, you know, there's three things that I kind of built on that myself is the enthusiasm, also the attitude, having a positive attitude. Nobody wants to work with a Debbie Downer, you know, and so forth too. And the, I've added a third one, you know, recently, and, and that's empathy. And I think that um, if you do anything, you know, that you do with enthusiasm, attitude, a positive attitude, and empathy, truly putting yourself in your potential client or customer's shoes and giving them the same sort of you know, just good, honest advice and guidance that, that you would want and benefit from personally, yeah, I think you could do anything. And, and so keep those, those three things in mind. Um, and another thing too, is I always pride myself to, to always continue to learn. Um, I've been in practice now for almost 13 years. Um, I am a CFP, a certified financial planner. Um, but I still constantly, whether it be go to seminars or read articles, um, I because always adding to my knowledge base makes me more valuable to my clients, which makes me a better advisor. Um, and quite honestly, I've been very you know, fortunate that practice has continued to growing almost solely just by referrals, word of mouth, because it often turns into, hey, you got to talk to my guy. He's really good and has helped me a lot. You know, that's that's really how the practice grows. So just making yourself as valuable as possible um, will, you know, provide results. 
Mike, thank you very much for your time today. I really enjoyed getting to catch up with you here and, and hope we're able to help out some, uh, some recent and upcoming grads out there. If folks are interested in learning more about Mike Coco or uh, opportunities to, uh, to invest or, or perhaps partner with him or, or his organization, uh, you can certainly check him out at MikeCoco.com, M-I-K-E-C-O-C-C-O.com. Mike, thanks again. Have a great rest of the day. You got it, Kev. It was absolutely my pleasure, and uh, thank you again for having me. All right, everyone. Until next time, this has been another Penn State Conversation. Thanks for listening, and have a good day. Penn State Conversations are presented by the Young Alumni Council of the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications Alumni Society Board. The Alumni Society Board aims to help elevate the stature of the college through dialogue with faculty, students, the dean, and associate deans. And the Young Alumni Council aims to foster a strong connection between young alumni and the college to inspire lifelong support and involvement. For more information or to learn how you can get involved, please visit belisario.psu.edu slash alumni.